Welcome to the Parenting Well podcast with Parent Engagement Network. I am Dr. Shelley Mann, your host, and today you are listening to Parenting Well, where we know that parenting well is challenging and that all parents are the best parents they know how to be. We firmly believe that the foundation for raising healthy, happy youth is for us as parents to fill our own well with useful, reliable, credible information, tools, and strategies. So let's fill that well. Today's well source is Wendy Walpole. Wendy is the co-author of the book, The Sweet Spot, Leveraging Your Talents in Leadership and Life. She has been a trusted partner and professional leadership coach to hundreds of business owners and executive teams over the last 18 years. As the founder of Culture Counts, Wendy offers coaching and consulting to leaders who want to increase their effectiveness and self-awareness. Prior to this, Whitney was a seventh grade English teacher and started her own private school focused on engaging children to take more responsibility for themselves, their creativity, and their learning. She has a passion for children and parenting and has raised two kids of her own using the tools presented in this book. Thank you so much for being here today. I know that oftentimes you speak to organizations to help people increase their effectiveness and their enjoyment in their work. Um, And recently I got to attend one of your workshops and I got a lot for myself in terms of how I function in my day-to-day life, in my relationships, and in my own personal fulfillment and enjoyment. And I also see a lot of value in what parents could get out of this in terms of understanding themselves and their children and how they interact with each other. So can you just share a little bit about what a person's sweet spot is that puts them in that place of being super effective and happy at the same time? Yeah, a sweet spot really is this idea that we're all born whole and with um, a contribution to make just because of who we are. We don't have to do anything special. It doesn't require that we learn anything new, but only that we um, learn to give what we have to give in the most relaxed and effective way possible. And fundamentally, I think that's actually what people want. They just want to know that they have value, that they contribute, and they want to do it in a way that feels good and feels right. So sweet spot is just that that idea that what if we really all were born with that kind of quality? And maybe it's different for everybody. So the sweet spot and the way we talk about it is we differentiate between seven different what we call talents, which helps us differentiate the difference between how people give and contribute in natural ways um, and how to see that and appreciate it and really harness it. So that's what, that's what the sweet spot generally is. That does sound amazing, you know, to be able to just do things with ease and with joy. How does a person figure out what their sweet spot is? Mm -hmm. Well, I think that people are always figuring that out in all kinds of ways. Um, Trial and error, feedback, The thing that I really love about uh, the way that we've written and talked and the way I actually learned about Sweet Spot and and sort of our way of pointing people to that is to consider that there are seven different what we call archetypes or talents, seven different ways of talking about how people's contribution sort of um, lights up into the world. So you asked, how does somebody really figure out what their Sweet Spot is? Right. So if one didn't even have the way that we talk about it, the language we use, which is just language to talk about something everybody already has. How one figures out their sweet spot is going through life and noticing where am I at ease? Where is it and what am I doing and what's happening when I feel most relaxed 
and I feel most connected to the people or the things happening around me. And it seems like people respond in a relaxed and easy way back with me. That's actually the best litmus test for it. And all we do is give language to help people mentally start to sort that out. But again, I think that's, um, and we're not always taught. And this is, I think, what's so valuable as, for, as a parent with, with children or if I'm an educator is that in my experience, human beings do want to move towards where it's actually relaxing and joyful and natural. And if we can point our kids and ourselves back to those moments and keep building on those, it's an incredible foundation for, for everything in our life. So I think that's the most built-in way to know what our sweet spot is. And then, of course, we have some words for it and some language for it that help people as well. Right. And I know that when I did the workshop with you, what was helpful mm -hmm. was for you to describe to me what one of those archetypes or talents is. Yeah. And what kind of characteristics, actions, behaviors a person has. And then I could sit there and reflect and say, is that how I see the world? Is that how I show up? Is that how I do things? And that helped me to differentiate. And I know when I read your book, that's sort of how it's laid out too. So for people who want to be able to go through this exercise themselves, they can actually yes. read about each of the archetypes and have some kind of an understanding. I, you know what, it's one of the things I love about this work and the way that you shared about your own experience. And that was my experience too, was that what we do is we put words to ways that people could think about themselves. And then when that's given back to you, you actually get to try it on like a piece of clothing. And what's nice is every human being knows their own fit and no one else can fully know that for another human being. So what I love about this is this work is more about trying something on and noticing, does that, is that the way when I'm really, when I'm going through life, is that the way I see it? Is that the way that feels most true to me? And, um, and, or that doesn't, which doesn't mean it's wrong. It just may mean it's not the way that I navigate and contribute in life. So I love the way that it's a trying on process. And um, so for me, it's more of a, a process that builds such beautiful self-awareness and also helps us support our kids or the people around us and becoming more aware of who they really are so they can do what they know to do. So I love that. Yeah. And as it relates to parenting, I think what's valuable is to have a common language around it so that not only are you honoring how your child actually shows up, but you're helping them learn how to talk about who they are and what they enjoy. So great. One of the things that, that I can see in my own kids having, they've had maybe 15 years of growing up with this kind of work we've had together, this language, like you're saying, and there's a way that with my kids, I was able to give them language for what they might be struggling with. And as a parent, see that it wasn't wrong. So before I had this particular work, I essentially thought everyone was generally like me, especially my kids, so that whatever worked for me would work for them. Well, some things do and some things don't. So having some language to find out more of the way that they move through life, I could support them growing up and developing more skill and responsibility, but true to the way they were. So they were, they embraced it more. They resisted me less. They were happier and they really felt seen by me, even when I was asking them to do some things they may not have always wanted to do. <laughs> um, and they do have language now that they're applying for jobs. Now that they're sorting through their relationships with friends, now that they're making choices, both of them 
have a sense of being able to talk about who they are and what really works for them, why they would move to certain places, certain jobs, why they wouldn't. And they have a, a real deep respect for other people's differences. Hmm. And um, they'll say, that's just not, oh, I can see it's their, their sweet spot. That's just mine. How do I meet them? And I love that my kids can do that. That's a gift. Because yeah. we all have to figure out how to express ourselves and at the same time honor someone else's differences. That's wonderful. Yeah. It's nice to have a map for that. So to share with our listeners what those seven archetypes are, mm-hmm. I think it would be helpful to talk about them and talk about how they show up in the world if they okay. have that kind of archetype. You bet. We have these around sort of a wheel that looks almost like a, like a pie. And I like to talk about them as two of the archetypes are what we call more of the emotional or heart archetypes. So they're centered there. Two are more about being expressed in the world and ideas and new ideas. And two of them are about action. And one of them is a little neutral. So the two that are more about heart and sort of that um, emotional connection with people are what we call priest and server. And I'll start with the server. How the server sees and feels life is really connected to people and how they're feeling, how they're experiencing life. And servers care deeply that people are respected, treated fairly, and that they have what they need right here, right now, especially that their emotional needs are met. And servers are incredibly devoted. They really appreciate and want to support the underdog, and they will fight fiercely for or against when people are wronged. How it shows up in the world in particular for people who have server is servers almost don't know the difference between what they're feeling and what somebody else is feeling. Hmm. Every archetype has its own lessons and it has its gifts. Servers um, can get really tangled in other people's feelings because it's like they feel them. And one of their gifts is that they feel other people's feelings. So they are tender, astute about where other people are and really know how to meet people's needs. So that's the server. And that's how that shows up in life. And in the workplace, often those people are really caring and considerate. They're often in HR. Uh, Martin Luther King was a server, as an example. Right now, you can see that kind of quality expressed in our communities, in our country right now about this this fairness and what's right for people. And that's kind of a server quality. Mm -hmm. So the priest is a little bit like the server, except for the priest is much more oriented towards people really fulfilling their potential. So priests are really also heartfelt and can see through and to people, sort of their inner world. But the priest really looks over at somebody and can see who they could be, the potential they have, and what they most want is for people to grow into and fulfill on their greatest assets, their greatest future, their greatest potential. So priests tend to like to really challenge people to grow. They are passionate about people having a vision and a purpose for life. They love to really lead groups to an inspiring future. They um, really are astute and able to tell when people aren't emotionally bought in and people aren't walking their talk. And priests care a great deal about people being authentic and real. Um, And priests tend to be more group oriented. So they'll usually be leading. They usually like to be leaders. They usually like to be running a group, running a project. You know, if you have priest children or educating priests, they want to know they're a good leader and they want to know that they helped a group of people get from here to there and that people were able to do it in an authentic and real way. Yeah, so that's the priest. I'm thinking as a parent, if I were parenting a child that was a server, I would want to point out and acknowledge when they do things that 
are authentic or when, when you see them have that experience of sharing what's happening with a friend and they actually get upset themselves saying, oh, I can see you feel for them. You're really with them in this. And with a priest really recognizing they maybe need a lot of feedback. Yes. Feedback is a huge thing for a priest because mostly a priest wants to give people what they really want, not what they want on the surface. Uh, going deep is a, is a big priest where like, I want you to tell me what your greatest desire is. And a priest wants to know they helped you get that. Where a server wants to know that you feel cared for, seen, and loved right now. Mm. And so I, I have a server daughter, and I appreciate her regularly, especially when she's a, when she has strong feelings, to appreciate that she feels deeply, and to appreciate how much she cares for people. That sometimes she even gets tangled, and appreciate their um, their strength and desire to have people treated fairly. That mm. can sometimes come out strongly. And uh, so that's a lovely thing to appreciate a server for. And for priests to say, wow, you made a big difference. That's really what a priest wants to know is that they made a difference for somebody. So what about the the next two that are similar? Yeah. So the next two are um, sage and artisan, and they're really about expression. A sage is about more sort of um, expression through uh, words and speaking and sharing out loud and um, or other people expressing and an artisan is about expression of unique ideas. So let's start with the artisan. The artisan, you can see a lot of artisan in our culture right now. Um, artisans see what could be, see new ways of doing things and are willing to say, you know what, how we've been doing things, the status quo, it's just not working, something else could be better and they're willing to push and poke and create new ways of thinking and doing things that people actually haven't considered before. So oftentimes they're, they look like rebels or they look like inventors or on a leader team, they might look at the, some, look like somebody on the team that's going, yeah, all that's fine and good, but, and they'll point to something missing in some, be, some way something could be better. Um, as children and as uh, teenagers, they can often look like trying to do things in a really unique way because they value freedom and they value doing things that break up the status quo. Because intuitively and in essence, their quality knows that human beings are always creators and we can always create the next best thing. So they push us to do that. I was sitting around the fire last night with my uh, youngest daughter and a friend of hers and her boyfriend, and they're all three artisans. And um, their whole conversation, and they laugh because they know this language, and they're all about, yeah, you know, we need to have people just see they don't have to do it like the status quo and don't people get that you know they don't have to be ordinary and so it's just a lovely lovely conversation so that's the artisan and artisans tend to in the world invent new things that give us a whole new access to stuff like steve jobs and bill gates who are both are both artisans we're artisans um albert einstein so so people that help us see things in new ways and tend to be pushy and pokey and a little snarly along the way sometimes or, or rebellious to get it done. So that's the artisan. And then the sage is also slightly rebellious, but it's really in the name of wanting people to have a voice, wanting people to say what there is to be said. So um, they value language, they value conversation, and they really value communication. Whether they're good at it or not is not really always the case for a sage, but what they care about is communication. They'll care about how things are said. When they're around a group of people, sometimes they'll say the thing that's the elephant in the room because they want people to talk about what there is to talk about. And they want groups to say it, and then they want 
in particular groups to move forward. They really hate inertia. So sages are lovely. They can also be comedians because sometimes comedians job is to say the things that a, that a culture doesn't really want to say and to poke at it. So sometimes that can be a sage or sages also love fun. They love that something can get named and seen and talked about because they know there's power in that. So they can sometimes be over talkers and big storytellers. And uh, I have lots of sages in my life. I grew up with mostly uh, a lot of male sages around me, which we'll talk about when it comes to masking. But yeah, really lovely and often have to learn about the difference between over talking and supporting other people. Mm. And then what about the next two that are similar? So the next two are about action. And that's the king and the warrior. We'll start with the warrior. Warriors are so uh, grounded unless, of course, they're not in touch with themselves, but they tend to be sort of solid on the earth. They care about things getting into action. They are energized by efficiency, process, consistency, simplicity, practicality. Now, lots of us like that, but a warrior actually enjoys making things that way, Mm. spending their time on having things be efficient and consistent and practical and simple and process and grounded and They love to do. So they tend to be big doers. They are often really solid in their body. They're aware of their body. They can even be, um, they can even have like kind of an earthy heaviness, even if they're not heavy, but because they're actually really anchored on the earth and they love to be in action. And so often as kids or teenagers, they love to be in sports. They're somebody who won't like to sit in a seat all day long and just be in their head. They'll want to move and they'll want to try things out in action as a way to find out what's true and as a way to feel like they're contributing. Sometimes it can be a little tough for a warrior because they can overdo and they can seem pushy because they want to move people faster than people are ready to move, especially if that person's an artisan who's thinking through all their creative things and a warrior's like, move on, would you get practical and get a plan? And an artist's like, no, I'm still thinking about it. So um, so that's the warrior. And I love that archetype because it kind of, it sounds like it is. And um, then there's the king and the king is also about action, but the king is really about other people taking action. So kings are kind of like empire builders. They often have a very big idea or they see something big that can happen. They're like, um, they might be the head of a, a big corporation or they might see a whole new way of doing things like a new paradigm. And what they do is they organize competent people around them to achieve the results. And they essentially orchestrate other people being in efficient and effective action. They can be fairly intimidating and they have a lot of power. And so those are kings. And then I think the one we have left is the scholar. Scholar, yes. So the scholar, the scholar is um, the one archetype that is emotionally more neutral. And scholars tend to be more at ease with observing. Um, Doesn't mean that they're not involved in things, but they have a capacity to observe and witness and see sort of the the map of something. They're able to go, that's happening, that's happening, that's the data, that's the data. And they're able to organize and make sense of, well, certainly data and information, but almost like the puzzle, putting a puzzle together. They're able to see how a puzzle comes together and they don't have to get as sort of um, involved in it. So they're able to see things that the rest of us who are too involved and, and, and into it, we, we can't see. My business partner is a scholar and she's able to make observations and see how to put a plan together, 
see how all of the information comes to make sense of something in a way that I just can't see. Sometimes they have a hard time knowing what they're actually feeling. And sometimes they can really be in their head and not always in their body. And there's some beautiful value to that because of what they can bring to the world and they can be more neutral. Some of our old news anchors actually used to be scholars, not so much anymore, you know, when you watch the news. But if you see some of um, Diane Sawyer or some of the old um, news anchors, there's an ability people have to trust them because they're able to share. These are the facts. This is the neutral world. Let's not get all uppity up about it. Let's look at this and see what we need to do. So that's the scholar. So interesting. And I can see how valuable it is to have people with different archetypes on a team or even within a family to be able to pull on people's strengths, recognize who's the best fit for a particular job. We always say get the right people on the bus, you know, so knowing that there's a gap in what you're trying to achieve and who would be a good person for that? You know, about 15 years ago was when I really did the the work with, with this work. And um, I, at that point, my kids were, you know, maybe seven and, and 11 or so. And then my company, I was building my, my organization. And I was able to select team members, not based on a resume, although I certainly looked at resumes, but I knew that my business was at a certain stage. And I knew that even though I didn't like to do certain things and I might've even had some resistance to certain personalities, I got um, certain sweet spots on board to be able to take us through the next phase, in particular, somebody knew this work, and it changed my company. And knowing that, we also knew how to work together every step of the way we even wrote this book together, but there, uh, what otherwise wouldn't have been a partnership I wouldn't have even gone towards whatsoever. And because we knew this, we were able to capitalize on each other in such a nice, easy way. And then with my kids and in our family dynamic, we'll laugh and joke about, well, so-and-so should do that because that would be easy for them. And so-and-so should do that. And of course they'd say that, and all we need to lighten it up, where's the sage? So it's just, it's really fun. It's very fun. So for me, one of the things that I loved so much was recognizing that you actually carry three archetypes. One for the way you be or show up in the world, one for how you like to do things, and one for the way you learn. Um, And that was really valuable for me. I have to say I've done a lot of personality tests and, and been involved in a lot of workshops around figuring out who you are and how you work. This one was valuable because there was something special about the uniqueness of the combination of the three things that brought out aspects of my personality that I had not been able to see before or that I struggled with. So this really helped me get grounded in a few things. So I wonder if you could share a little bit about those three different ways that archetypes show up and and how that looks in combination. Yep. So uh, when you're when somebody's first grappling with us and exploring this, it's really fun to imagine that you're not just one, you're a combination of them. And so it's fun to just go, well, what three do I kind of feel like really are me? And then once somebody can do that, then it actually is important long term to know which one's first, second or third, because what's most important is that we settle into and appreciate and as much as possible, live our life from our first, because that is the one that's almost like the water we swim in. Most people, when they do this work, oddly enough, it's a little difficult to settle into the thing that we are the most. I mean, it's like the sky is blue. Isn't everything like that? Isn't everybody like that? It's not really. So it's really nice to know that your first is just kind of who you are. And when you're relaxed 
And especially when you're at ease with yourself, like you can let yourself just be who you are and not have to be something else. This, you just give it. It was a little bit like for me with you, I wanted to be really planned. Whenever I have to speak or I'm getting interviewed, my thought is I should know everything I'm going to say and I should be planned. That's not my sweet spot. That would be a little sage and that would be a little scholar, but really my first is priest. And the thing to do is to show up and connect and the right words will come out. So that's important to know so that I go, wait, Whitney, come back. Let's just trust this. So the first is that. Your second is a little bit more of how you like to bring it to the world. It's kind of like the flavor of how that first comes out. For example, my second is artisan. So I tend to bring my wanting to make a difference in the world and help people fulfill their potential. I tend to bring it in this sort of light and playful way. Sometimes it's different with every client. I like to make up my own work and invent new things. I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. Um, and, and I can be super sensitive, like artisans are really sensitive to exactly the way things look and sound. And so that's kind of the vehicle that I bring that gift to the world with is the second. The third is learning. And it's a little bit of how the mind likes to work. So for me, my third is scholar. When I'm learning, I really like to read books. I really like to see a map of something when I'm learning. When I'm not learning, that's not the thing for me to do. But um, where somebody who might have artisan on the third as they're learning, they might like to learn in like 10 different ways because they like a variety. It's, it's just different for everybody, but the order really matters. And um, we can have what's called masking. And this is a really important part of our work with, with Sweet Spot because we're all born with some Something to contribute and it's natural and we've got it available to us. How come we're not? How come we're not just relaxed and doing that and loving that part of ourselves? Well, we grow up as human beings, as little babies, and we need to survive in the world and we tend to mimic and want to please those people around us. So we'll tend to unconsciously or sometimes consciously begin to um, mirror or match the people around us and their sweet spots. So if I have a mom or a teacher that's a server, but I don't have any, I'll start to act like that around them just naturally because I want to be seen and I want to meet them. So I start to live my life or develop qualities that are like that, but they're actually not me. And everybody does it. So most of the people that I run into or even other parents is we've had years of um, of thinking we should be something other than we are. So it, it actually takes a little bit of uh, sort of what's the Michelangelo thing. It's like, you know, chipping off the old stuff to really get back to, to where we are at home. The reason I say that is because we have a first, a second and a third. Like you were saying, we have three of these archetypes and then we have masking. We have some things that we're thinking we are that we aren't. And how we know those things is it's never relaxing to do it. We question ourselves. It never fully goes well with other people when we're doing it either. We can never be masterful at our masking. And a lot of people are doing it, especially in the workplace, because it can be scary to not be seen as valuable. So we'll do a lot to be seen as valuable. And our kids start to do this as well. So it's important to kind of know, one, our order of things and to know our masking in some ways, just because it's, it's the work to let it go. And that's what we can also help our kids do, is to help our kids keep paying attention to and building on the things that are their real strengths and not heading down long-term pathways where they're really trying to effort to be somebody else because it'll never give them the return and it won't be sustainable. And those are the people that are stressed out and often feel hollow and empty. It's just because they're not at home with themselves. That's, that's all that's going on. So that's the importance of knowing the order and knowing what masking is, is to differentiate that. 
It's really powerful because I think it can help people if they're unhappy in their life, they have somewhere to look. We certainly live in a culture of high stress and anxiety. And if this can be a tool that can help people to identify that, it's really powerful. I remember this part of the, the workshop we did being very valuable to me for two reasons. One, I was able to recognize all the places in my life where I was saying I'm supposed to be blank or I'm supposed to do blank and pull those out and see where maybe that's coming from. But the other piece that was valuable and I think is important for people to hear is I could also accept that just because it's not one of my top three doesn't mean I don't have any of that. So I got a little hung up on server because I really don't have server. And I, I work in a nonprofit world and, and I have a mission to serve people. But what showed up for me is I absolutely am a server in certain ways. It's just not how I naturally like to do things. And when I really looked, I could see it. So it, it was very valuable for me. I think what you're saying is so important to distinguish because what matters is that you're of service in the way that your sweet spot would be of service. If you have some strong artisan, you could be in a nonprofit that's of service because the truth is everybody wants to be of service. Everybody wants to make a difference. Everybody wants a voice. Everyone wants to be creative in their own way. So everybody is all of these seven in heart and essence, but how we do it and give it in the world is unique. So you can be of service, but what would be important for you is to do it in a creative way in a way where you had some of your own room to move around and to experiment and, and to try things and to have some freedom with that. Um, it would be important for, for somebody that had warrior in a nonprofit to really have the experience that there were maybe processes and efficiency that allowed it to be sustainable over time or to be even more efficient so the money could go to even more. So it, we can all be, everybody could be in sales. There's not a sweet spot. There's some people that especially in our culture, might tend to more of a sales position like a sage, talking and telling stories. But the thing is, is everybody can sell. What matters is that I would do it with the gifts I have. So as a scholar that I would sell as a scholar and I'd have maps for people and outline all of it and it'd be a lot of detail if I was an artist and I'd give them five options for creative ways of doing things. So that way we are most effective because we are who we are doing the thing we're doing. You just nailed the the key to it. It makes so much sense. Um, so one of the things that I'm curious about is what gets in the way of people being able to identify and act from a place of their archetypes? So in general, one of the main things that gets in the way is that we don't have a language for and a context. Sweet spot is really not just words for something. The context is actually important too, because the context is you're whole, you're, you're complete. You already, without having to do anything, you have something to give, not just something. You have a lot to give by being who you are. And it does take awareness and developing that talent so that you can give it, stay with it, give it where it's wanted and give it an effective way. So I think what's missing for people is one, we don't walk around relating to each other inside of this context. Oftentimes, and just life as usual with given human nature, it's like there are good people, there are bad people, there are people that do it right, there are people that do it wrong, there are winners and losers. I mean, there's just, there's just a number of different ways we think about human beings. So the context, I think one of the reasons we don't live into this is because this isn't exactly what we hear when we're born and then, you know, until we're 20 years old. Um, right. And it's a lot about adding to ourselves. 
myself, which again is not nothing wrong with, but it's not like I spend my first 20 years going, wow, who am I? What am I best at? What's most natural and easy? And how do I develop that and become um, masterful with it? Um, that's not exactly the journey that we take. Um, and then we also don't have language for it. We don't have a common language that has us be able to talk with our teachers, talk with our parents, uh, talk with our friends, and be able to sort out our issues based on, oh, well, what if you're being you and I'm being me, and we just don't know how to see each other because of our, our different talents or sweet spot? How could we see more of how we each see it and then work it out? from there. This just not the maps we're given. It's not the language we're given. And it's generally not the context that we live in. So um, I think that's the biggest hurdle for people. And then once you do have some awareness of it, if I'm just really candid, it's it's actually not the easiest of journeys because it's very vulnerable. Mm. You know, I don't think there's a human being out there that does hasn't had a moment where they really kind of put themselves out there in whatever way they did. You know, I either said something or I felt something or I did something or I shared my idea and whatever feedback we get, if it's not exactly, thank you for giving your contribution, that can be really hard because it's so authentic and so real. When we aren't seen for it, it can be piercing, really difficult. So we learn to protect ourselves and to put ourselves out again and to go, wow, I'm just going to be me. (laughs) I'm going to appreciate myself, give no matter what happens and keep being not like rebellious me, but just appreciate who I am. It's a little bit like, I mean, kind of funny, but it, I think it's true. It's emotionally very vulnerable. And it's a little bit like saying, I'm going to you know, take my clothes off and walk out naked. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it's not that, but it's that's what the journey's like. And to support the people we love being true to themselves is also difficult because they don't always do it our way. And it brings up our stuff. So it's just, it's a, it requires a willingness and a desire to actually wake up and learn about ourselves, appreciate ourselves and appreciate others past what we're used to. And so, you know, that's, that's not for the faint of heart. One of the things I'm very committed to is, is parent-child relationships, helping parents really be an authentic relationship with their kids. And that can be really challenging, especially when there are issues or hard topics that are happening in the conversation. And what I, what I really love about this is it creates a, you use the word context, and I think that's the perfect word. It creates a context where you can sit with your child see something differently, not judge the other person and have everything out on the table so that you're working with what's actually happening instead of what's not being said or strong emotions one way or the other. It's really um, potent and life-giving to know, first of all, why I get upset. You know, as a parent, it's always good to put the oxygen mask on myself first, like in the airplane. And it was really helpful for me to know sometimes a lot of my upsets, most of my upsets with my children were that I saw their potential, you know, the priest archetype. I saw their potential and they weren't getting to it, you know, and they they weren't fulfilling it and they were going whatever different ways or they didn't do things purposefully or they weren't emotionally authentic and real enough. And so it was so nice for me to be able to go, wow, I'm triggered. This is emotionally upsetting for me because. I value what I value and to just appreciate that, but then not assume that they did. And then to look over there and go, you're right. I don't have to judge her or him. They're trying to be themselves and they're in their lessons because that's all that's actually ever happening. People are who they are. And then we're just messy and trying to figure out how to do it well. So I can be with anybody thinking, you know, they've got something to give. They are who they are and they're in a lesson about it. You know, I might have something to say about their lesson. 
but I don't actually have to judge it. And instead, what I love is like when I got to know my daughter's sweet spot, I was able to help them to move through their authentic lessons rather than move through what mine were. It made a bigger difference and they were able to get their ground and their legs and their confidence because they were moving through their lessons. And I was still a, I was still a mom and I was kind of fierce about them doing that. I wasn't going to stop being somebody that cared about their potential, but I invited them to do it on their journey, true to themselves. And through again, it's made all the difference in the world and having a relationship where they want to be with me and they want to use me as a resource. Mm-hmm. They don't have to pretend they're somebody they're not to get my support and contribution. Yeah. And yeah. what you said is so important because it doesn't mean that you excuse um, behavior or enable no. them. It just means that you find a way to have the conversation that honors them. Exactly. And honestly, truth be told, I pick strategies that will work with and on them. I mean, I'm I'm a mom just like any other mom. And there were times, there were a lot of times where there was a lot to say and a lot to do to have some healthy and effective things happen at home. But I was able to strategize it and make options and choices based on my kid's sweet spot that I knew would work for them. And we got on the ground with it. And strategically, that was helpful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, right now our parents are home with their children more with COVID-19 happening. It almost puts everything in the fast lane in terms of being able to relate to each other and be around each other, to know yourself, to know when to take space, all of those things that you feel normally, but just not to this extreme. So what kind of insights would you have for parents who are really parenting in a very different world right now? You know, right as you said that, what came to mind is, I think especially in in turbulent times or times where our patterns and structures are all upended, because in some ways that's fundamentally what's happened. And it's ripe for masking and survival mechanisms. That's why we have masking to begin with. It's a way to survive the world (laughs) and to protect ourselves. So when everything's turned upside down, it's so easy to go to who we're not as a way to survive. We're just, we just kind of remember that habit. So what I would say to parents who are at home with kids is that the most important thing to do is to know yourself well enough to know if if there's one thing that makes a difference for me to come back to myself and recognize myself and have my own, I might say ease, but it doesn't always feel easy. It's like, I feel like me and I'm relaxed. That's by the way, sweet spot for somebody like me. It's I need some quiet time and I need alone time. That's not true for usually for a sage. For somebody who has sage, it can be talking and having fun. Uh, for an artisan, it might be, you know, having the freedom to choose to do anything I want to do for an hour. For the parent to go, what's the one thing that will be like my lifeline? And mm-hmm. give yourself that once a day, because if you can care for yourself and give yourself a little bit of what supports you, you'll be resourceful with your child. So I think that's the most important thing to do. And in our book in particular, there's like literally sort of, if you're this, these are the six things you don't want to go without. And it's just nice to know those things. And then if a parent can do that for themselves, or maybe they can't, especially if the parent is a server, they'll be looking over at their kid first. The most important thing I would say is to really say, given the child they are versus the child I'd want them to be, what's something that allows them to relax and lighten up and kind of be at home with themselves. And, you know, we know our children if we're over there and look, and it might be they need to be physical. It might need, they actually need book time. It might need, they need to be able to talk and talk and have nobody interrupt them (laughs) and make lots of loud noise and run around in the back. And if our child can have that one little thing that lets them be at home with themselves, that will support everything as well. So that's probably the survival tip that um, would make a difference. Yeah. And people could 
get your book. They could look at those characteristics. As you said, we know our children. I mean, as parents, we know our children best. And especially when we are able to sit back and really look at them. Um, and I think it's valuable to say we could, we could look at this book, dig into what the different archetypes are, and then have some action steps in order to respond and to be with our kids. You know, we wrote this book because often we would talk about this and parents and even teenagers, most of the teenagers around our house know this work because they so loved it. But there was no like practically, what do I do with that? And now because we work with leaders and organizations and teams, we wrote the book with that content, but we wrote every chapter so that somebody could, we even wrote it to what we thought the archetype would be able to relate to, wrote so they could see themselves and then go, if I'm this, what would really support me? Who are famous people that I could relate to? And what are some seven tips for how I can really have my life work better for me? And you can apply these to kids. I have this book in front of me right now because when I'm on calls with clients or even sometimes with my kids, I go, let's go back to the chapter. What are two or three things that it says to do that will support? And I use this like a little bit of a, like a roadmap for myself. So I hope it's practical for people and we hear that it is. Yeah, I think it is. I think it's very practical. Something that I think is really interesting as I've explored my own development in this is that, like you said, you can really try this on and you try it on and it feels extremely awkward but maybe you need to go back and read again and see if there's something else that fits you better. Like there's no wrong way to do it. Well, what you just said, it matters most to me. These are just words that try to put language to what we actually already know and sense about things, but we don't have words for. But what I love the most is that um, this is a journey of how do I know and trust myself more and appreciate myself because I know I'm better for my world and my people in my life when I do that. And you can't go wrong when that's the question you're asking. And it's just, who is that? And how can I give that in a way that makes a difference, but also really works in the world? And how can I have the kind of joy that gets all over everybody else as well? I love that you said you can't go wrong. Um, you can't go wrong on a journey when the journey is about coming back home to yourself and loving yourself and others more. <laughs> I think that's a perfect place to to kind of leave people with today. If you were going to give them your final words of wisdom, what would you want to leave parents with today? Probably a support, encouragement, and um, an affirmation of the power of their own self-awareness, their own um, journey to understanding themselves more and appreciating themselves and what they give to their kids. Because that's the that's sort of the starting point that will be easy to give to their kids when they can give it to themselves. And that kind of self appreciation and awareness gets extended naturally to their kids. And I think one of the most powerful gifts to give children is to be a healthy human being. They see that it's possible and they see that trusting ourselves, being true to ourselves, being at ease and having some joy in life and, and working that is the way to go. They'll, they'll mimic that and they'll, they'll see their way. So that's what I would leave parents with. Beautiful. For people who want to get in touch with you, or are interested in getting the book and exploring this for themselves and their families or their work more, how, how would they get in touch with you and where would they find the book? Well, the book is on Amazon. And when you go to Amazon and you look up the sweet spot, a lot of things come up. So it's the sweet spot, leveraging your talents for leadership in life, or you can search for my name. And really it's sort of a walk through your own journey book. They can really get a lot just by walking through it. And then if they want to get in contact with us, um, I love to talk to groups, parent groups, teenage groups, 
and they can just reach me at Whitney at culturecounts.biz or go to our website, which is culturecounts.biz. Great. Well, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate you taking the time to share this. And I think that it's such a special way to learn a little bit about yourself and learn how you can be in relationship with your kids. I loved what you said about there is nothing we want more as a parent than to be able to see our children being happy and fulfilled. And if we can do anything to support them in that journey, I think that's our job as a parent. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. I love the chance to talk about this stuff. Appreciate you. If you like what you heard today and want to become a sponsor or make a donation, you can find us at penbv.org. That's P-E-N-B-V dot org. We hope today's conversation has added to your parenting well. Having a well of resources leaves us more engaged, educated, and empowered to support our children in being strong, resourceful, confident, and resilient in the face of life's many challenges and adventures. I'm Dr. Shelley Mann, and you've been listening to Parenting Well Podcast. Until next time, happy parenting.